Did you see the news about the guy uh, yesterday who was swimming off the coast of Massachusetts, and several of you alertly sent this to me, and he's swimming off the coast of Massachusetts, 45 feet deep in the water. He's got his, you know, scuba gear on, and he's taken fully into the mouth of, uh, anybody see it? A whale. Did you see that? Wild kind of stuff. 56-year-old guy, his name is Michael uh, Packard, and uh, he was swimming off the coast of Provincetown when the tech occurred. He said, I initially thought it was a shark, but then I felt around. I didn't feel any teeth. I had no pain. And then I realized that I was in the mouth of a whale. Can't make this stuff up. He said, I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead. All I could think of was my boys. They're 12 and 15 years old. He said, the whale then spit me out. His buddy was with him, witnessed it. The guy's now in uh, the hospital, but he said, I escaped with just bruises and no broken bones. And he plans to get right back to diving despite his wife's protests. <laughs> Women, I don't know why, how you just put up with us guys. Like we're so thick in the head at times. Uh, if that story sounds familiar, it's because something happened similarly in the Mediterranean Sea a long time ago. And some people think it's just metaphorical. It didn't really, I, I believe it really happened, but it wasn't just for 30 seconds. It was for three days. And it was a guy named Jonah. And he's one of God's spokespeople, messengers, that comes to address the people of God to help turn their hearts back to be fully devoted to the one who would end up giving his life for them. We're starting a new series today on what's called the Minor Prophets. Just in a second why we call them Minor, but there's 12 of these spokespeople, messengers, sent from God, and it comes right at the end of the Old Testament, but uh, in fact, let's just turn to the first one here, Hosea, and, uh, and if you're not sure, you're like, I don't know if I've ever read the book of Hosea. We're going to go take a look at almost one verse from every chapter here. And, and to see what, uh, what his message is for today. Remarkably relevant. Let me just say to those of you watching online, whether you're in North Royalton, North Ridgeville, North Carolina, North Africa, we've heard from people in each place. Really glad to have you with us today as well. And we've been reading this section uh, of the Bible in our Bible reading, uh, and that's going to be this summer. And so these prophets can sometimes be confusing. It's sort of like a reading someone else's mail kind of experience. And so we want to unpack them and say, how does this apply to today? Now, just to, to clarify a common misunderstanding about the prophetic books. They may be at the end of the Old Testament in terms of order, but they don't come at the end of the Old Testament in terms of chronology. In fact, if they just put them all together because they're all prophetic books. But if you were to take the historical books, you'd say, oh, this one fits during Nehemiah. This one's during Ezra. This one's during 2 Kings. And so they don't come uh, at the end of the Old Testament in terms of time, but just in terms of order. Now, you'll see a chart that's going to be up here on the screen. And, and you'll note that after Israel uh, and Judah, the 10 tribes of Israel in the north, two provinces of Judah in the south, Israel only lasts uh, to, they, they don't make it very long. They, they, they're taken off into captivity. Judah lasts a bit longer until 586 B.C. And, but you'll see where the prophets fall. You have some of the major prophets like Isaiah and Daniel. Some are before the exile. Some are during the exile, Daniel and Ezekiel. And then you have some after the exile when they return back to the land Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And so you see these were real people uh, speaking in real places about real events. 
So you have five major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then you have 12 minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, et cetera, and you have those. We're gonna look at each one of those, do one week on each book. Let me just say again, minor is only because of their length. It doesn't mean the major prophets are more important, these minor guys, sort of like minor leagues we think about. No, it's just, just in terms of the length of them, but they pack a punch, and Hosea in particular tells us what happens when you break God's heart. And what we're gonna see is a lot more of us break God's heart and might be breaking God's heart today. What happens to God's heart when we do that, and how do we make it right? We're gonna look at that today. But before we do, I'd like us to watch a three-minute overview of this book from the Bible Project. Here it is. The book of the prophet Hosea. Hosea lived in the northern kingdom of Israel, which he sometimes calls Ephraim or Jacob, about 200 years after they had broken off from southern Judah. Remember the story from 1 Kings. Hosea was called to speak on God's behalf during the reign of one of Israel's worst kings, Jeroboam II. The nation was descending into chaos, and in the year 722, the big bad Assyrian Empire swooped in and decimated Israel. Again, see the story in 2 Kings. And Hosea had seen all of this coming. The book is a collection of some 25 years of his preaching and writing. It's almost all poetry. And this whole collection has been designed to have three main sections. Let's just dive in and you'll see how it works. The opening part tells the story of Hosea's broken marriage to a woman named Gomer who commits adultery. Now, it's not totally clear whether Gomer slept around with other men before or only after they got married, but they did have three children together and things fell apart. The important point is that God tells Hosea that despite Gomer's unfaithfulness, he is to go find her, to pay off her debts to her lovers, and to commit his love and faithfulness to her once again. And then God says that all of this, the broken and repaired marriage, the children, it's all a prophetic symbol telling the story of God's relationship to Israel. So God has been like a faithful husband to Israel. He rescued them out of slavery. He brought them to Mount Sinai, where he entered into a covenant with them. He asked them to be faithful to him alone. But then he brought Israel into the promised land and they took all the abundance that he gave them and they dedicated it to the worship of the Canaanite god Baal. And so God has a legitimate reason. He could end the covenant and divorce Israel and he thinks about doing so, but instead he says that he's going to pursue Israel again and renew his covenant with them. And he says why? It's purely because of his own love, compassion, and faithfulness. Hosea then spells out what all this means. He says the consequences for Israel's rebellion will be imminent defeat by other nations and exile. But there's hope for future restoration. One day Israel will once again repent and come back to worship their God. And Hosea says he will place over them a new messianic king from the line of David who will bring God's blessing. And so this opening section introduces all the main ideas of the book. Israel has rebelled and God's going to bring severe consequences, but God's own covenant love and mercy are more powerful than Israel's sin. And so in the remaining sections of the book, Hosea's poetry explores these themes in more depth. So there are two collections of his accusations and warnings for Israel. And then each of these is concluded by a very hopeful poem about God's mercy and hope for the future. So let's make this personal. If Jose could speak in my place today, he would tell us this. He'd say, every single one of us has the potential to value and cherish and honor and love 
the people around us. And we also have the potential to crush and shatter the heart of someone that we profess to love. You've seen that happen. John Trent and Gary Smalley tell a true story in their book, The Language of Love, about a woman who came home from shopping one day and she is putting the groceries on the counter and she sees a note with her husband's handwriting and it says, Judy, don't let the kids read this, which I don't know why you'd ever do that because if you're a kid, what are you gonna do? I am going to read that note. Sounds like someone just jumped in the pool, doesn't it? <laughs> did, did you hear that? Someone's having a good time over there. So Judy opens the note, trying to convince herself that the note is something to do with their financial situation or something like that, and that's the reason he didn't want Kimberly and Brian to read what he had to say. So she pulls out the note, and her hands began to tremble as she read this. Dear Judy, we both know we've been drifting apart for a long time. And let's face it, I don't see you or anything between us changing one bit. You may as well know that I've been seeing another woman. Yes, we've been involved, and I really think I love her. I'm telling you all this because somebody is bound to see us together, and I wanted to tell you before somebody else did. Judy, let's make this as easy as we can on the children. It doesn't have to be a big thing with the kids unless you want it to be. I don't love you anymore. And I really wonder if I ever did. I've already had my attorney draw up the papers because I want a divorce now. I've got to go out of town on a business trip. I'll be back in two weeks and we'll come by to pick up some things and say hello to the kids. One more thing. I'll be staying in an apartment I've rented until this is over. Steve. And Judy clutched the note as her eyes filled with tears and her mind began to race. And over and over again, she replayed the words, I don't love you and I don't think I ever did. I don't see you changing. There's another woman. Who's the other woman? I'm gonna be living in an apartment. How long has this been going on? What does this mean for a future? How am I ever gonna survive? Will I have to move out of this house? And tears mixed with anger filled the next hours as Judy tried to come to grips with a marriage that was falling apart and her heart was shattered. Some of you have been there. You've been on the receiving end of something like that and your heart has been crushed. And you go, wow, you sort of just touched a wound in my life. And you can feel the pain of what Judy experienced and you've been crushed by somebody you've loved and your heart's been broken. And some of you have done the breaking and you've been on the giving end of this and you look back with tremendous regret, I hope, that you wanted something else or maybe someone else more than you wanted to care for and protect the one that you claim to love. Some are you going, dude, that is like heavy. I'm glad I didn't like ever do that or wasn't ever on the receiving end of that. But just before we declare our innocence too quickly, I want us to hear the message of Hosea. 
Because Hosea would say, before you protest too quickly, how many of us have cheated on the one who loves us more than anyone else? I'm not talking about the physical act of adultery. I'm talking about a heart that's divided, giving God only a portion of my affection, being committed to him in this part of my life and not committed to him in this part of my life over here, saying yes to God here and saying yes to myself over here. And Hosea calls that cheating on God, spiritual adultery. That's the message of Hosea. In fact, I'd like us to begin in the first chapter and just see, because Hosea is not only called to tell the message, but to live the message. And here's how it happens, beginning in verse two of chapter one. The Lord said to Hosea, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. He's saying, Hosea, I want your life to be like a show and tell. I'm gonna have you marry someone who's going to crush your heart because that's what my people have done to me. And we go, well, against whom have they been unfaithful? If you turn over to chapter four, and I said we're gonna, I wanna show you a verse in almost every chapter of this book. In verse 12, just the last phrase there, he says in verse 12, they are unfaithful to their God. That's the way he views it. That when I sin against God, I'm being unfaithful to him. Now, to be unfaithful means there has been a relationship. And in the, New, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, whether in Deuteronomy, it says, I've set my affection upon you. God says that I've loved you. You didn't deserve my love, but I've loved you. And he says it all the way through. He says, I've loved you. I, I committed myself to you. I've provided for you. I, I've come after you. And, and the people responded back to God when they were at their best and they loved God in return. And even in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter five, Paul says, husbands, I want you to love your wives as what? As Christ loved the church. As Jesus loves his people, he says, I want you to love your wife. And he was willing to give his life for them. And at the end of that chapter, he says, I'm not really talking about marriage. I'm talking about the mystery of God's relationship with you. So God's brought us into this relationship, this covenant relationship with him. And so when, when I sin against him, it's like I've cheated on him. Because the moment I give my life to Jesus and, and, and I'm, I'm baptized and I, I publicly declare, I say, I do, I do, Lord, I, and I, I do it in front of my family and friends and I've made my vows essentially to him. I've entered into a relationship and when I forget that relationship or leave it behind, he says, you've been unfaithful. You've committed spiritual adultery. We're gonna get to the good news, but first the bad news. When we choose to walk away from God, when we let our hearts drift from him, we might look like a Christian on the outside, but we know underneath there are some things that don't honor him. Few things happen. First of all, we deeply wound God's heart. That's the whole point of Hosea and Gomer. God's saying, Hosea, I want you to take a promiscuous woman. I want people to see how you feel when she cheats on you because that's how I feel when they cheat on me. When I sin, God doesn't respond like, you know, police officer scribbling a, out a ticket to someone that he doesn't, is a stranger, he doesn't even know him. It doesn't, it's not like they're going, I can't believe you did this to me, right? They just give you the ticket and you pay your however much money. 
is not a judge who reviews the case and goes, all right, all right, let's see, it's sort of unemotional, you know. No, no, when I sin against God, it's personal. He's given his life for me. He's expressed his love to me. You go, well, what, what are you talking about, John? How, how, what does it look like? It, it could be that I'm dishonest with people at work or the people in my home. And God sees that. It might be that I rage. I've got anger that just damages the people around me. It could be some kind of a secret sin like I, I, porn. You know, I, I, if people knew what I was looking at at night. It might be an addiction that I hold on to and, and it's sort of tearing apart relationships in my life and hurting my relationship with, with God. It could be greed. That our growing portfolio, we go, really? Yeah, in Ephesians it says that greed is like idolatry. That my growing portfolio, my 401k becomes like everything to me. And I refuse to let God have access and cause me to have a generous heart. Maybe I've got some kind of grudge against someone. I just refuse to forgive. You go, those sound like sins against other people. Yeah, and they're also sins against God. And that's what was happening to the people in that day. They were saying yes to God on the one hand, and they were saying yes to themselves over here, and they were sort of two-timing God. Imagine a husband comes to his wife, and he says, honey, all right, just let's have a deal here, all right? 80% of the time, it's you, okay? Like, I'm gonna be all about you, right? But you gotta understand that this other person over here is just 20% of my time, but they're really important to me, and, and she also has, like, part of my heart, and so I'm just going to be 20% here and 80% there. What would his wife say? If you want to split yourself in two, let me do the favors for you and I'll just, I'll cut you in two, right? And you can have happy over it, right? She'd say, you're out of your mind, right? You can't do that. And that's the point of Jose. He says, how many of us are doing that to God? God, I'm 80% in. And the Lord's heart is crushed. You go, well, I don't think people really see my sin, you know, like that. But if you turn over to chapter 7, verse 2, I just want to read what God's perspective is here. Here's what he says to his people. He tells Hosea, he says, they do not realize that I remember all their evil deeds. Their sins engulf them. They are always before me. Do we hear that? My sin, no matter how secret to other people, is never hidden from God. It's never private. I never fool him. So everything that I do that dishonors him, every time I say no to him and yes to me, no to his way and yes to my sin, he sees it all and his heart is crushed. Look how James, the half-brother of Jesus, puts it in James chapter four. He says, you adulterous people. Same message as Hosea, right? You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is what? You say it out loud? Hatred toward God. You see, in the end, and it's what a person feels like who's on the receiving end of physical adultery, it feels like you're hated. That the other person has loved someone else more than they've loved you. And God says, and that, that's what I feel. 
you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world, he's not saying just that you have friends in the world, he's saying that you, when you're committed to the ways of the world more than you're committed to me, he says, that feels like hatred. So the underlying cause is a failure to love God first. Remember what Jesus said, greatest command? He doesn't just say, you need to hate sin, you need to, he says, Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. I want you to love me, but you know the people here, that was their problem. In Hosea chapter six, back one chapter here in, in verse four, he says, your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that what? Disappear. You've been out fishing in the morning or just on a boat you go out in a boat like in the early morning and there's that cool mist just hovering over the water. You can hardly see like 100 feet away and then the sun begins to come up and what happens to the mist? It's gone, right? Or the dew, you go out to cut the grass, you're like, it didn't rain last night but the grass is like all wet, right? The dew. But within a couple of hours, sun comes up, dew is gone. The mist dissipates. And he says, that's what I feel your love is like. It's there, it feels so strong, and it's just gone. Let's be more direct here. If I sing on Sunday, Lord, I need you, I love you, and then on Monday morning, I, I'm with some folks at work, and I, I, I laugh at a joke, or I tell it a joke that's at the expense of someone else, or I gossip, and I tear people down who are not, with me and I just sort of, and, and, I, and I do say something that's unkind and unnecessary. Or maybe I fudge a little bit to make a sale. Or I stay silent when I know the Lord has prompted me to speak up. When I act like that, I break the heart of God. Just ask Hosea. And there are consequences. Over in chapter 10, he just tells us what happens here Hosea 10, verse 13, he says, you have planted wickedness and you have reaped evil. Uh, folks, deciding to go our own way always has a high price tag. In, in Hosea's day, it was an invasion by an enemy nation, Assyria. Syrians come in and they come in and they just, they decimate, you know, the people of God and they take them off into captivity and it's, it's terrible. Probably not gonna happen to us. Do you know what happens? Like Psalm 32, it says that there's something, there's like a, my bones ache inside of me or there's this sin, my sin finds me out. Like it's just, there's just consequences that I, I'm gonna face for what I've, I've done. And we eventually pay big time. That's the bad news, it's heavy stuff. You go, wow, this is really a heavy message from Hosea. Yeah, and he was called to live it. Not just to tell it, but to live it and experience that. So you go, what? What's the good news? You know the amazing truth about God and what we read here in Hosea? Is, is, it's like the father of the prodigal son. Remember the father of the prodigal? The prodigal goes off, says, I want to live on my own, I want to do things my own way. And when he comes back, what happens to the father? The father sees him and his heart begins to just race with excitement. He goes running out to his son. He embraces him, says, welcome home. Let's have a party. Let's kill the fatty cat. We're having steaks tonight for dinner. And we got the new clothes we're going to bring out. And it's this wild 
party. Why? Because my son who is lost has come home. He's found. And that's how God responds to us when we come home to him. Chapter 3, verse 1. He says this. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves. Wow. Reminds me of Romans chapter five. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that even while we were still sinners, even when we were running away from him, what did Christ do? He died for me. That's the unstoppable love of God. In fact, you could say this is the big picture of, of God and Hosea, that his love can overcome any failure or sin in my life. Chapter 11, just two more verses and then we'll wrap up. Chapter 11, verse 8 says this. How can I give you up? My heart is torn with me. This is God speaking. And my compassion overflows. You hear what God is saying? He's going, even when you take one step back toward the Lord, it's like he can't wait to show you his love and his forgiveness and his mercy. Jesus says when one person repents, when one person turns away from their own way and turns to God, he says, in heaven there is what? There's a big party. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. God's love heals me and, and gets me back on track. And so what does he ask of me? If you turn over to chapter 14, here's the last verse we'll look at. Chapter 14, last chapter of this, uh, this prophecy from Hosea. He says this in the beginning of that chapter. He says, take words with you. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously. If you're wondering, you go, you know what? I think I've cheated on God. I've shattered God's heart. And if we don't think we've ever done that, we're lying to ourselves. We've, I've shattered God's heart. And so have you. And maybe we're doing it right now, and you go, what, what do I do? Like, I'm, I'm that 20%, 80% kind of guy. Maybe it's the reverse. You're 20% God and 80% other. What do I do? He says, take words, come back to the Lord, confess what you've done, and say, Lord, would you receive me in your grace? And what you find when you do that is that his love for you endures for how long? Forever. The love of the Lord endures forever. It's an unstoppable love. I'm going to go back to Steve and Judy. Two weeks after he came, later, he came back from his business trip. Within days, he realized, I am miserable. I have made a terrible mistake. I've sinned against God. I've crushed my wife. I've lost my reputation with my kids. And so long story short, he profoundly broken, asked for another chance. Said, I'm willing to get whatever help I need. Could you find in your heart to forgive me? And Judy and her kids, Kimberly and Brian, welcomed him home. Does it always happen like that? No. Because people are people. And sometimes the crushing grief is so strong, the relationship seems beyond repair. But can I just say this? The message of Hosea 
loud and clear is this. God always welcomes you back. It doesn't matter how much you've shattered his heart, how much you've crushed him, how far you've walked away. He says, bring words to me. Bring words to me. Lord, would you forgive all my sin and receive me in your grace? And when you do that, he welcomes you home. So the question isn't, will God welcome me home? The question is, will I come home? Will I come home profoundly broken and say, God, I've sinned against you. I've been less than 100%. Would you receive me in your grace? I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now. So I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. I wonder when we were talking before about what are the things that sort of pull us away from God or there's sin in our lives that we're hiding, what would that be for you? Are you willing to own that right now, just before him, to bring your words to him and say, God, forgive me for that, I pray. Wash it away, God, I'm, I'm done with that. God, I wanna be broken before you. Would you receive me in your grace? Would you just reach out to him? Thank you for hearing the prayers of your people, gracious Father. Thank you for welcoming home sons and daughters, even in this moment, back into relationship with you. Cleanse us, strengthen us by your spirit to say no to ourselves and yes to you. We want to be fully yours, to honor you and love you with all of our hearts. Enable us, we pray, Jesus, to do that you deserve it. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and everyone who agreed said, amen. amen.